do it. It is a very good afternoon. It's Niall Boyle. I'm with you this Wednesday afternoon. And immigration, of course, is still the hot topic. It is the big number one topic. Politicians don't seem to think so. It's been discussed everywhere apart from inside the doll. But mind, mind you, maybe it is now. And I'm looking at Grip Media and Tisha Cleo Varadka said that he has no particular figure in mind for what would be a sustainable number of asylum seekers. The same thing that Neil Richmond said the other night on The Tonight Show when John McGurk was battling it out with him. Not that you could hear either one of them and what they were actually saying, but I think it was actually 10 nil to John. Anyway, last night during a press briefing at the Irish Farmers Association annual general meeting, the Taoiseach was asked what a sustainable figure was regarding the number of Ukrainians Ireland could actually take in. I suppose we don't have a particular figure in mind, he says, a particular figure or a target. It's currently around 500 a week, said one journalist. Do you want to see 100, 150? And he said, I suppose we don't have a particular figure or target. As such, the Taoiseach replied, roughly 100,000 refugees from the Ukraine have come to Ireland over the last year and a half, well, nearly two years now, and about 20,000 of those left, but 80,000 are still here. And we've been able to, they said, and we've been able to provide with them with accommodation, education, healthcare, and in many cases, employment as well. Now, the employment rate is quite low from the last figures that I've actually seen, but the Taoiseach went on to express his view in years to come, people would be proud of what Ireland has achieved regarding asylum seekers and refugees. Now, last week, Ben Scallon featured a video of the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, suggesting that people who suggested that the Dublin Convention meant that asylum seekers had to apply for asylum in the first country they entered were actually incorrect. And nothing that was nothing more than a right-wing myth. That video has now gone viral and extremely famous, of course, because Ben also pointed out in that video that many members of Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil and even spokespeople for the Department of Justice said exactly the same thing. So are they all right-wingers as well, spreading myths? Well, Ben got his opportunity to face up with Leo Varadkar and ask him himself what he meant by right-wing myth, considering he said it himself in 2019. And this is just a quick video of the compliments of Grip Media what happened at that particular press conference. Tishok, a couple of weeks ago, you said that the claim that asylum seekers have to seek asylum in the first safe country they enter was misinformation and a far-right myth. The level of misinformation is very worrying, and no opinion is allowed misinformation, in my view. You know, I, I even heard on on the radio this morning, um, you know, people saying uh, that um, uh, asylum seekers have to claim asylum uh, in the first safe country they enter. Like that is a far-right myth. Um, that is being perpetrated broadly. People are not under any obligation uh, to claim asylum in the first safe country they enter. But on the 6th of November 2019, at an immigrant council conference, he said, quote, we uphold the view and the law that people in need of international protection should seek it in the first country in which it is safe to do so. So my question is, were you spreading misinformation when you said that? No, uh, I saw your video, by the way, and uh, I think you made one fair point. Um, that particular myth uh, went beyond the far right a long time ago. Um, um, it is a mainstream view now uh, that uh, asylum seekers um, have to apply for asylum in the first uh, safe country they arrive in, but that is not true. Um, and the Dublin Convention does not allow us to send people back uh, to other countries automatically. Uh, and one of the things that I have to do now, and we have to do as a government, uh, is to start to dispel some of these uh, mainstream myths 
that, quite frankly, a lot of people believe, um, for example, that we have open borders. We do not. The only open border that we have uh, is the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland, and we're definitely not going to close that one. When it comes to our airports and our ports, we have very robust checks, uh, and these are checks that we've stepped up in recent years. Um, a new guard station in the airport, a new guard station uh, in Dublin port, um, and even now checks for people coming off planes. Um, uh, so uh, a lot of these myths, unfortunately, um, are, are far too uh, widely believed. Uh, another myth, for example, is that um, there are no checks uh, carried out on international protection applicants. Um, far from it. Uh, the first thing we do when somebody applies for international protection uh, is to register them, photograph them and fingerprint them uh, and check against the database uh, as to whether they have an application uh, uh, in another country or uh, whether they've uh, stated in another country. And then, of course, we go on and process their application and do uh, checks against criminal records and so on. But a lot of people um, falsely believe uh, that those things aren't done. And part of my job now uh, is to uh, tell the truth about migration because I know there are people um, on the far right and well beyond uh, that don't tell the truth on this matter. So, so when you said it in 2019, was it misinformation then? Would, did, did you fall into the camp of people who had been taken in by this... Uh, far right idea. Oh look, I'd, I'd have to, it was twenty nineteen, which was I don't know how many years ago now. I'd have but, to go back and check. But, it in but I read I read you the quote. I mean, yeah, you, you, did. You, you did say it. So I mean, you, you did in fairness, but I'd have to I'd have to go go back and check. Uh, it, it was from MarianStreet.ie, which is the yeah. the government's official. Yeah. I, 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 I never I never I never comment on what anyone says unless I see what it was in full and in context. <laughs> but I do hope that the grip now will do the right thing by your subscribers and your and your viewers uh, and confirm that it is not the case uh, that people who claim asylum have to do so in the first safe country, nor is it a case that they can be sent back automatically. Um, the Dublin regulation is way more complicated than that, and I hope you'll put that on your website. Well, joining me is Ben Scallon, the man who asked him that question. Ben from Grip Media. Ben, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Noel. Great to be here. See, uh, I see Leo is a fan of the show. I knew <laughs> he said he watched your video, which probably brought a bit of a smile to your face. He kind of got flummoxed there towards the end when you, I mean, he said, I don't comment on other people's comments. It wasn't other people's comments. It was his comment. And he obviously didn't remember saying it, but you put it to him that it was on Merian.ie. It's clearly there because that's a transcript of what he said. And he seemed completely flummoxed by it. Yeah, well, I mean, in fairness to the Taoiseach, what I think he was probably saying was that he doesn't want to take my word for it and that maybe it's it was out of context. It wasn't, by the way, and everybody can go and take a look for themselves. I put the source on the screen. But, you know, for all he knows, he'd want to go and verify that that is what he meant at the time. But uh, I did find it a little bit odd considering the fact that with, I, I don't expect him to remember everything he said five years ago in a speech you know, how many hundreds of speeches has he given? You know, that would be unreasonable. But surely he remembers if he believed that at one point or not, you know. The, well, it, you would imagine it, you would. I, I would know what I believed five years ago. Yeah, you know, you would have a rough idea that if somebody says to you, hey, did you ever believe that this is what the Dublin regulation said or, or that this was the migration rules in Europe, that he would say, oh, yeah, I remember thinking that at one point and then later on I realized I was mistaken. So I didn't quite understand his response from that perspective, but uh, yes, I suppose. He's also, he's also changed the narrative a little bit. It's no longer a right-wing myth. It's now a mainstream myth because, of course, he doesn't want to get labelled right-wing. Now, the other thing he said, by the way, was he talked about the other right-wing myths that are out there, that there are no security checks. 
Now, when we talk about refugees and security checks, this has become a big conversation recently. And according to Leo, there's lots of security checks, and there has been when it comes to refugees. But just very quickly, I want to play a quick clip of Michal Martin when he was Taoiseach just over a year and a half ago, um, just in and around this time, a little bit less than two years ago, when he was on the BBC. And this is what he said. Security services here have reportedly warned the Home Secretary not to water down security checks. You in Ireland have welcomed already something like 2,500 Ukrainians so far. Have you conducted security checks on them? We've had about 5,500 into Ireland um, at this stage. Uh, no, we're, 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 you know, we will have, we, we will monitor and so on. But no, our, our, our primary impulse is to assist those fleeing war. Um, and um, and that's you know the, the Irish people are very seized by this the, the series of atrocities that are going on. What we're witnessing on our screens every evening is really shocking people, and there's huge human empathy there, obviously. Oh, yeah. Human empathy, human empathy there, as you can, as you heard in the video. And but he clear, clearly points out that when we're referring to to refugees who are from Ukraine. Uh, that there is no security checks because obviously a lot of people come in at the same time and maybe the administration wasn't able to do it. Now, they are refugees. Yes, they're treated slightly differently because they're given PPS numbers, etc., etc. But you would imagine there would be security checks. Other countries have done security checks. But he said no. Yeah, it's uh, it's rather interesting. And, you know, there is that delineation between Ukrainians and asylum seekers from other parts of the world and there's all these various I mean like a lot of people don't understand this stuff but the fact that there's a difference between the Dublin regulation and the Dublin convention there's been different iterations of the Dublin regulation uh you know they're about to replace that with the EU's migration pact so I suppose I would agree with the Taoiseach to the extent that this stuff is very complex and complicated and it's not straightforward but you can hardly blame the public for not knowing when the government seems to be sending mixed messages on this stuff. We have the Taunish seeming to say one thing and the Taoiseach seeming to say another. And you've had various government politicians and state officials saying different things over the years. I don't think that's some kind of far-right groundswell of uh, dangerous radicals trying to deceive the people. I just think that there's been awful communication from the people in charge and that this has not been explained clearly. So actually one of the plans that I have is I'm going to get in touch with a uh, professor of migration studies. I already am in contact with somebody and we're going to sit down and talk about what the actual law says and just cut through cut through all of the uh, the nonsense and just get down to brass tacks because uh, I'm not sure many people who are in positions of power even know, frankly. I think that the mm. uh, uh, actual lines, I mean, they keep telling us that we can't do things as a country that other countries are, in fact, doing. You know, well, oh, well, well, Neil Richmond kind of argued that point with John McGurk the night of the Tonight Show, suggesting, for example, that Hungary had paid six billion in fines. And by the way, I don't believe the fines were six billion because uh, I was trying to research that myself and trying to find out the exact figure. Yeah, six billion. I don't believe that was the fine that they had to pay. Um, but anyway, that was the argument he made with John McGurk. And he also tried to muddy the waters, which seems to be getting constantly done by Leo, Neil Richmond, and many others. When we talk about immigration, they say, but look, sure aren't the nurses in the hospitals doing a wonderful job? The, I'm assuming the ones in the Philippines, etc., etc., that are over here. And nobody disagrees with diversity. Nobody agrees with people coming through the legal process. What they do is muddy the waters by suggesting, well, they're all in the category of immigrants. Yeah, I think that's a really big sleight of hand that I've heard time and time again. I've heard Michal Martin do it and many others do it, where the, the attitude is you either have to accept 
all immigration or no immigration at all. And there's no in between whatsoever. So if you say, hey, I object to people from safe countries destroying their passports mid-flight and then entering the country without uh, properly identifying themselves to the authorities so that we can't figure out who they are or where they're coming from or any of the details. If you object to that, then you must not want a nurse who comes from abroad legally to uh, be able to work in the health service. Is that what you're saying? And mm -hmm. <laughs> what a ludicrous red herring that has nothing to do with the issue at hand. Nobody is complaining about that. You know, this is not the issue that's being discussed, but they know they can't defend the actual situation that's currently happening on the ground. So they have to reach for ludicrous non sequiturs like that. I also see that Michal Martin today is actually on the border of Mexico. Um, looking at the situation they have there with the caravans of people literally that are coming in uh, under the Biden administration, Biden policy. I don't think he's going to learn much from being there at the border of Mexico. And if he does learn something from the Biden policy, I think we're all in deep trouble. Uh, but in relation to Leo suggesting, of course, that we don't have open borders, I don't see how we don't have open borders because essentially nobody gets refused from Ireland, from what I can see. Anybody who comes here, if they're from European Union, obviously they're free movement, uh, which is fair enough. But if they're outside of the European Union and they come to, into Dublin Airport or any port in Dublin, all they've got to do is claim asylum. So I don't see anybody being refused. So we really do have open borders, don't we? Yeah, I think what what he said there about the fact that, oh, one of the myths is that we have open borders. Um, it's a de facto open border. Of course, technically speaking, we Officially, have we don't. Yes. Officially, it's, it's oh, you know, you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that. But like, for example, we, uh, as we've discussed many times before, under Irish law, entering the state without valid documents is considered a crime. That's a criminal offence. But there has been, to my knowledge, I don't believe a single prosecution for that crime, certainly in the last 10 years and possibly, you know, longer than that. So the fact of the matter is, if you have immigration laws but you don't enforce those laws, then the difference between that and an open border is almost nothing. You know, when people are coming here and we're giving them, quote-unquote, deportation orders, which is to say you have to deport yourself and the authorities aren't going to check whether you have or not and they can't confirm whether you've even left the state, which is the current state of play, and numerous Department of Justice officials have confirmed that, then at that point you go, okay, so... How exactly would this look different if there were open borders? So you're telling me that I can come into the country illegally or overstay my visa or whatever it might be. And then when they tell me to get lost, they're just going to take my word for it that I have and I can continue living wherever I'm living. You know, this is clearly as close to open borders as you can get without uh, explicitly declaring it as a policy. So I mm. think his his framing of the issue is saying, oh, well, no, we all have all of these uh various rules and regulations. Yeah, I wish we would enforce them and I wish we would actually implement what's already on the books. And the other thing as well, we spoke to Nigel Farage here on the show going back a few months ago and Nigel said, you know, if the Irish government think they have problems now, uh, wait till they see what happens in three or four months. And, and he was referring to the uh, the huge influx of people coming across the border uh, in the United Kingdom from France. Um, and what we're seeing now is when we see the situation yesterday with uh, there was women, children and men in a truck, as we know, came in from Ross Lair in a refrigerated truck, which was quite a dangerous situation for 30 hours. And we're seeing more and more of that happening. 
by the policy that we currently have of the no refusal, and that seems to be the case here in Ireland, and if you go to Ireland, they will find you accommodation eventually and you will get some money. I mean, we're essentially encouraging that that behaviour. And I'm not suggesting for a minute, by the way, we shouldn't have empathy and some sort of humanitarian feelings for the individuals involved. And we should. But certainly we're encouraging that behaviour uh, by continuing this, what I would class as a reckless policy on immigration. Certainly. I believe uh, uh, Matteo Salvini, when he was interior minister of uh, Italy several years ago, I heard him speaking about this issue. And he said how since he implemented a policy of refusing to let uh, boats uh, disembark illegally uh, into Italian uh, waters and into Italian ports, the number of people who had died in the Mediterranean making that dangerous journey had plummeted and it it had gone way down. And he, he was arguing the case that his policy actually saved lives because if people think, okay, I'm not gonna reach the other side or if I do, they're gonna turn me back. Then well, they're not going to try. No, and they did, they did the same in Australia many, many years ago, of course. They started, you know, initially they were allowing the boats to dock or they were helping them across as they would be in the channel in the UK. And what they did eventually was they decided to change the policy. They would turn the boats around, bring them back to the shore, and they would burn the boats so they couldn't use them again. This is what the authorities would do. And they noticed that within a very short period of time, nobody was bothering trying anymore because they realized once they got caught, they were going to get returned and the boat would be burned. So it wasn't worth their while. But unfortunately, we have a situation now where we have people risking their lives, you know, families. And we understand they're coming from a terrible situation, maybe in some cases, but risking their lives with their children, with their wives, whatever it is, in a truck for 30 hours. Which, And we've seen what happened in the UK going back some years ago when many people died in the back of a truck because they'd been there for three days. And um, when we see that situation, we're only encouraging that situation. The other thing as well is, of course, this word misinformation. I really enjoyed your video, by the way, online. Uh, if people want to go to Grip Media's uh, Twitter account or to Ben's Twitter account, you'll find it there, your video on disinformation. And this word disinformation that you described uh, originally coming from Russian, from disinformation. Um, can you explain that just briefly to us? If people want to see the whole thing, they can go to your video, but explain that briefly to us. Yeah, so uh, we hear this word tossed around a lot. The government uh, talks about how they, the dangers of disinformation are a threat to society, and that's why we need various new organizations that they've established, like the Media Commission and the Electoral Commission, which both have the legal power in Ireland to stifle so-called disinformation online in various forms. And they, they constantly talk about this like a beating drum. And I was just thinking about it, the fact that if you look up the dictionary definition of disinformation, it's defined as information which is created with an intent to deceive or something along those lines. It false information which is spread knowingly, something to that effect. And what I was thinking about it was the fact that that's what we used to call a lie. You know, yeah. when you accuse somebody- A bareface lie. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're lying, you're telling fibs, you're making stuff up and telling people things that you know to be untrue. And then it dawned on me the fact that when politicians say we want to regulate disinformation, it's literally them talking about regulating lying. And of course, we could get into the fact that many of the things they dub to be disinformation are actually true, but that's a whole other conversation. I think more critically is even taking it at face value, even if you accept that, yes, okay, let's say it is as you say it is. Or do we want to put politicians who are known widely for being some of the most dishonest people in any society 
in charge of regulating lies itself. As, as I said in the video, it would be like putting a predator, a convicted predator in charge of a school. It's almost <laughs> comical, you know, if, if it wasn't so serious. Well, who, is, who is the politician on RT News going back oh, probably a little bit before your time, Ben, maybe about 10 years ago? He was on RT, and I'm trying to remember, he was a leader of a party anyway, and he was asked on RT, well, you know, were you not lying to people at the doorsteps? It was in relation, to, I think, to end the Kenny's five-point plan, uh, which never actually happened. I don't even think we got two points of it. But, um, and he says, but should we all know that politicians lie? So that's what they do. And he admitted this on 6-1 News. I don't think he's still in politics, by the way. But he, I can't remember who it was. Somebody will remember and text him. But he admitted that that's what politicians do. They lie. They make false. A false promise is exactly the same as a lie because a false promise is something you know you can't deliver and you tell people you're going to deliver it just to get a vote. That's clearly a lie. And politicians do it all the time. Yeah, but that's apparently not the kind of disinformation we're worried about. You know, the one of the things about disinformation as well that I covered in the video is the fact that it originated in uh, Soviet Russia. It was a KGB term, and it was used to refer to information that was created by a state or an intelligence agency like the KGB or the CIA or MI5 or someone like this. And it was used to deceive the public. You know, if you accuse somebody of disinformation, you're usually accusing another government of trying to trick the people. Whereas now the whole meaning of the word has been flipped on its head. And now it's the people who are being accused of disinformation by the government. So if you say something that the government doesn't like about one of their policies, they'll say, no, actually, it's the public who are spreading propaganda and the state is the victim of the propaganda. You are lying about us cherub-like, innocent politicians, and that needs to stop. And so it's literally an inversion of the whole idea. And that's what makes it so insidious you know as a as a concept the idea that we would put these people in charge of regulating the facts and and i mean i, I would steamroll you but very briefly i had an interview i believe it was last year with uh media minister catherine martin of the green party who is in charge of uh the the media commission which has some of these powers and i asked her if her misinformation and disinformation strategy would apply to mainstream media uh, outlets like for example RTE or the Irish Times the Irish Independent if hypothetically they were to publish something false would that fall under this uh this disinformation yeah she she re flatly refused to say whether it would or not she I asked her I, I think I was asked her about four times and she evaded the question every time but they're I constantly doing it I mean, only last night, I, I spoke earlier on uh, about the fact that, you know, we've had a lot happening in this world, including Ireland, by the way, now in the top 10 of most dangerous nightlife cities in Europe, which is something that we should be talking about quite a lot. Well done, by the way, Minister McEntee. She's done a wonderful job there as Minister for Justice. Um, but we That's something that's in the news. We had a man who was fatally stabbed yesterday as well uh, in Dublin City, although I think he, he he's, still, he's still with us at the moment. But, but what I... When I look at all the stories we have in the news, and then RTE last night, 6-1 News, which is our primetime news where people get all their news, spent the first 15 minutes of a top story of the news talking about it was the hottest year, climate change, blah, 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 and bring on George, of course, to talk about Mr. Doomsday, to talk about everything that's going to happen. And he, then he starts talking about 5,000 people died in America, um, you know, in climate disasters, i.e. in natural disasters, and probably the same amount in Europe. In other words, that he didn't even have the figure. Probably the same amount in Europe. I'll just have a stab at this. Probably the same amount in Europe. Is this some sort of revelation? 
And let's be clear about it. The facts are that 70% less people have died in natural disasters this year or last year as died 100 years ago. So we have reduced the amount of people that die in natural disasters. A lot of that's due to early warning systems, et cetera, et cetera. Also, more people die of the cold. Nine more people per one die of the cold than the heat. They forget to say all of these things. And there are scientists in the world who will completely disagree with their hypothesis in relation to last year being the warmest year in 125,000 years. And if we look back at a graph of the world over the last God knows how many million years, we can see the spike going up and down constantly all the time, right? That the world has been a lot hotter in the medieval times, for example, or medieval warm season, warm season they call it. It was much, much warmer than it is now. But yet there's nobody on to actually give the other side of the story. And it seems to me like now the new COVID is going to be climate change. So I'm going to ask you now for your predictions for 2024 for Ben and Grip Media. This year, it's been a lot of immigration. Next year, do you see a lot more of that coming up towards the elections? Or do you think we're going to get really pushed on this climate change? I think that the uh, government and the establishment and the mainstream media would probably like it to be climate change. I think that would be because they're obsessed with climate change. That's all they think about. And so that's what they want the people to think about. I don't think most people are on that wavelength. I think most people walking around in their day-to-day -day life want to go on their holidays and take a flight to Malaga or wherever. They want to drive their car. They want to keep eating meat and dairy. They don't really think that much about the climate except when they're smacked in the face with it repeatedly by the mainstream media. It's not something that factors into their day-to-day -day decisions all of that much, uh, I think, for most people at least. And so when you confront something like immigration, which is very much at the forefront of people's minds because it's very on, literally on their front doorstep all over the country and it has no signs of slowing down and is growing all the time as far as the prevalence of the issue, I very much think that this will continue to be the year of immigration. And you'll certainly see attempted distractions with the, oh, look over here at the shiny climate change and look over here <laughs> at the whatever other issues they can concoct. I mean, the referenda that are coming up, those are distractions. distractions not of course. That, not that they're not important, but they, they are contrived to try and take people's attention off the, the main issues that are really weighing on them. Uh, Mind you, Rodrigo Gorman's comments last week more or less, you know, suggesting that all NGOs should campaign for a yes vote or they might have questions to answer, which was kind of underhandedly saying to something, well, maybe you might want to look at your funding. Um, that doesn't do the referendum any good. Now, Rodrigo Gorman's comments uh, have been suggested to be utterly stupid, was the quotation I read in the papers there during the week. Uh, but in saying that, to me, when it comes to a referendum, um, that really corrupts the referendum when you've got a government suggesting taxpayers' money be used to fund, a, fund either side of the campaign, a yes or a no, for that particular matter, because it should be the government should be impartial in these matters. Um, what's your feelings on that referendum, by the way? And how we, could I ask you how you're voting? I'll, I'll be voting no in both, personally. That's just my view, and uh, that's for a few reasons. One, one of the reasons is, I think, because it is such a, a blatant distraction. I mean, I mean, just to, to enumerate the referenda we're actually talking about, the one referendum is on the role of women in society, but it's purely and utterly symbolic, as the government of many, uh, have mentioned. So... It's a waste there is no woman in this country who believes she has to stay at home, by the way. that's, that's no, and, and, and people that's who use not, that, that's a bit of a red herring. And that's not even what it says. I mean, even notionally, what the whole point of that particular article of the Constitution says when people actually take the time to read it is 
it, ironically, it is, if I can use a phrase here, pro-choice in the sense mm -hmm. that it is saying you should have the choice and the option to stay at home and mind your children if you would like, if you would otherwise want to stay at home with your family, but you can't because of economic necessity, the Irish state will try to help you and support you in that because the role of homemakers is an important role and we should be getting behind that. That's effectively uh, what it says. And, and the, other, the, other, the other part of the referendum, obviously, is in relation to the family and the word family and the definition of a family. And they want to change the definition of a family, of course, from man and wife and children, uh, more or less, uh, to being a durable relationship. Now, a durable relationship can pretty much mean anything. I can have, actually, me and you, Ben, have a durable relationship. Yes, absolutely. I, I had a durable relationship with my goldfish when I was eight. I'm not sure we <laughs> constituted a legal family. And I even saw uh, um, John McGurk made this point, and so did Michael McDowell, Senator Michael McDowell, who obviously knows the law inside and out. And he was saying that this referendum, because it gives such a vague description of what a family actually is, it could potentially open all sorts of legal problems where you get, for example, polygamous relationships from other cultures. If some guy comes here and he's got two wives from Afghanistan or wherever, does that mean that they're a family because they have a durable relationship or all kinds of weird concoctions and problems? You know, it, also and then, has an, it also has an impact on immigration too, which was pointed out because, of course, as it stands at the moment, the average person coming in an immigration asylum seeker uh, can have family reunification of up to 20 to 30 people. Um, that could be now extended because durable relationship means he could bring his best mate over or, you know, well, or he could bring his sister's friend. You're, you're partly right, but not quite. What that, where that came from was um, David Stanton, who was the Fine Gael TD, and he was, at the time when he made these comments, which I believe was 2018, he was talking about, he, he was the junior minister for immigration at the time, and he basically said that uh, if uh, the, the, there, was, there was a bill that was being presented to him by some of the uh, independent senators, and it was to try and make family reunification easier in Ireland. And he was saying why the government would not be supporting it and explaining the reasons why. And this was several years ago when you could say things like this and admit them freely. He basically said that uh, the amount of uh, uh, family members that asylum seekers would apply to try and bring in was an average of 20 and that they had had a high of over 70. So he said this, when we're already struggling to accommodate people and we have a housing crisis and we have all of these issues, then to implement something like this would just be crazy. It makes no sense. And so on that basis, we're not going to be supporting it. Uh, so that was what the Fine Gael Minister for Immigration was saying a couple of years ago. Now, when the rate of immigration is exponentially higher and we have vastly more strain on the system than we did back then apparently now is the time to liberalize our family reunification laws as neil richmond himself admitted i mean he ironically he did say he would have an impact. <laughs> he ironically he admitted to himself that it would have an impact uh, which didn't and probably do the yes vote any good what's funny is i didn't even think of that angle i wouldn't have i wouldn't have necessarily come up with that thanks it, neil. It was only when I saw <laughs> neil say that i realized oh yeah he has a great point well I'm I, sure he went home that day. That was on uh, RT uh, politics this week. And I'm sure he went home that day and went, shit, what did I say that for? That's just a lot of, done a lot of damage to the yes vote. Anyway, so you're going to be voting no on both. And many people are suggesting they are going to be voting no. Although I spoke to Carl Dieter the other day and he told me anything the government tells me to vote yes on from now on, I'm just.
just going to vote no on. It's the safe bet. Uh, but of course, you can decide. I don't want to tell people how they should vote yes or no themselves. Uh, any other predictions apart from immigration? What can we see or expect? Did you do any New Year's predictions for 2024, Ben, before you go? You know what? I don't have any. I could I could make one up off the top of my head. I haven't really thought to uh, to towards the end of the year because everything is so volatile. I mean, who would have predicted the the Ukraine war when that broke out and the massive impact that was going to have? You know, for all we know, a month from now, the entire complexion of the, the political scene could change. So I know that's very boring uh, and safe answer. I, I wish I could give you something juicier, but do you want, do you want to hear one or two? Do you want to hear one or two of mine just before you go? Okay, my, here's mine. Leo Varadkar is going to um, drop off, obviously, as leader of Fine Gael going into the next election. Helen McEntee will become the leader no. of Fine Gael, <laughs> heaven forbid. But she will. Uh, I'm, I'm predicting this. Michal Mark will also what, drop away from Fianna Fáil. What, I, what makes you say that? Because I would have thought... I'm I think not, she's I'm being teed up. I think she's being teed up currently at the moment to be the leader of Fine Gael. And, well, the, reason, and the reason is, is because they want to fight against Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin will be using the first female Taoiseach line to try, obviously, and get Mary Lou Macdonald in. And I think Fine Gael will also want to use the line, we also have a female Taoiseach too. Well, I will make a counter-prediction in that case. If Leo Varadkar does cease to be the leader of Fine Gael this year, I predict that Simon Harris will take his place. Okay. And the reason I say that is because I have come to the conclusion that whatever you think about his politics, putting that entirely to the side and his policies and his track record and all that, he is an extremely competent operator in terms of how he deals with the media, how he answers questions. He's been very quiet of late. He's been very quiet lately. <laughs> Maybe that shows how smart he is. Maybe that's the wisest strategy of all in these, uh, in these trying times. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. Well, they're my predictions. I also believe that Michal Mart will go for a job in Europe as well and it will drop out of Fianna Fáil. I think this is probably going to be his last one. He did actually say to me when I talked to him, probably the last time I talked to him because none of them talked to me anymore, about two years ago, or actually it was probably about three, or three years ago when he was taking over the role of Taoiseach at the time, uh, I wished him luck. And he said, well, this would probably be my last opportunity to be the Taoiseach of the country. So I think I think from that point of view, uh, I believe this will be his last crack of the whip and I don't think he'll run again. I think Leo would be afraid to run again because as we all know in the last election, Leo really didn't get voted in at all, actually. It was only on the fifth count that he eventually uh, got through. Uh, he might not have been the Taoiseach of the country after all. So I, I think he's not going to take that risk. Again, I think he'll be offered a nice job in Europe. I think the two of them will get two nice cushy numbers in Europe. Helen McEntee will be the leader. And I also believe that Neil Richmond will be the top I could see that. All right. Listen, Ben, it's been wonderful talking to you again. If anyone wants to check out those videos, they're available on Grip Media. They're also available on Ben's Twitter account. If you go to Ben Scallon's Twitter account, you'll find those videos there as well. Please watch the video in relation to disinformation. It's funny apart from anything else. Uh, and thank you very much indeed, Ben, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Niall. Great to be here. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms. <laughs>